You're listening to Equipped, the preaching ministry of First Baptist Dry Prong in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today is a simple gospel message. It's entitled, The Power of the Gospel. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. I'm going to invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, to turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, and we're going to examine chapter 2. Uh, I'm excited to share this message with you. I woke up this morning and I've been thinking about the last week. I just can't believe, you know, it is just three short weeks till we celebrate Easter. The day that changed the world, Resurrection Sunday. You know, I don't know about all of you, but I found in ministry especially, this time of year just gets incredibly busy, even more so than Christmas. If you look at our bulletin and look at what's going on online, we're planning a children's musical for Palm Sunday. We're planning uh, Easter egg hunt and a canine gospel presentation on Good Friday. We've got an adult musical coming up that Brother Ray and the choirs practicing for. We're going to have a sunrise service at Grant High School three weeks from today, and we're also going to have a worship service here, an adult musical, and it's just something right after each other, and I'm happy to do it because I'm excited about it. It's the day that the world changed, but I want to share with you, and I'm almost ashamed to admit it, sometimes we get so busy and so excited about sharing this stuff, we kind of neglect how powerful How powerful of a message this is. And today is is a day that I feel led to share a very simple gospel message. I've been here about a year now and y'all have got used to hearing me preach. And you know that I, I try to never leave a service without sharing the gospel in one shape, form, or fashion. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I believe it profits a church to devote the whole sermon just to the gospel and the gospel alone because the gospel is that glorious. This week, as I was preparing to share that story of St. Patrick on Wednesday, a man that found Christ while a teenage slave and went on to evangelize much of Ireland, baptizing 100,000 people, planting 300 churches, I was reminded just how powerful the gospel is. See, so many times as Christians, we think and we know that it's a good message. And indeed, the the very term gospel, it means good news. But man, church, I just want to remind you as we get into this Easter season, it's more than just good news. It's great news. It's unbelievable news. And more than even that, it is powerful I want to show you today through God's Word, and I want to show you today through maybe a couple of stories, just how powerful the gospel is. I'm speaking to hopefully two groups of people today. One is Christians, and for you today, for those of you that have accepted God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to remind you today, I want to bring you back and remind you of the power of the gospel. Or maybe you're here today and you've never heard about the power of the gospel. Maybe you've never accepted the gospel. And I hope today through God's word and through a couple of stories that this powerful gospel can be revealed to you and you can accept the greatest news that mankind's ever received. 
We're about to have a revival on top of everything else we've got going on. We've got a big revival coming up. And we've been having prayer meetings every week, getting ready for that. And uh, so that's more on the plate. And it's a great time of year to do it, I believe. And to show you that, this time last year, a year ago last week, uh, we had a revival at my last church at Beth River. And in that revival, I had a, a young pastor come up. He's younger than me. His name is Lee Failer, and his wife's name is Jordan. And they came to, to lead us in revival. And Lee is, is a young man. He's been in ministry ever since he was a teenager. Lee went down to New Orleans, and he earned, uh, I believe he went to William Carey first to get his undergraduate. And then he went to New Orleans and got a Master's of Divinity. Worked hard, served the Lord, doing everything right. And then COVID came, and y'all remember what a fiasco that was. And all of the failures got sick. Lee, his wife Jordan, his oldest son Rankin, and his two younger children, I can't remember their name. Well, they all recovered from that sickness except Rankin. Rankin just never would get better, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And long story short... It ended up being discovered that Rankin, his oldest son, I think was seven, had an inoperable brain tumor. Here's a man that, that had done everything right. He'd given his whole life to the gospel. He'd given his whole life to Jesus and Jordan. And here he is looking at his son and all the doctors are saying that your son will inevitably pass away in the next few months. Of course, they prayed for a miracle, as we all would, but... God's will was to take Rankin home. And I watched Lee last year come and preach that revival, and he preached with such passion, with such fire. I consider their story, and then I see his wife Jordan, and I see his two little kids with him. And when I consider that story, how they've stayed together, how they have worked together, how they've not walked away from the faith, but rather embraced the faith, how they stayed in ministry, and today Lee is preaching his first sermon at his new pastorate at his home church in uh, Seminary, Mississippi, I believe where it is. How is that able, how is that all able to come together? Because for a lot of us, a lot of people, their marriage would fall apart, a lot of people would leave the ministry, a lot of people's marriage would crumble. How are they able to work all this together? And the only answer I could come up with is it's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is able to hold things together when everything else falls apart. The power of the gospel is able to take a man like Patrick, who was a slave in Ireland, to go on to be a minister and then come back and help convert much of Ireland. The power of the gospel was able to take a man like Paul, who was persecuting Christians, and turn him into a man to convert Jews into Christians just like him. The gospel is so very powerful. So this Easter season, I hope that you'll remember, remember what we're talking about here. You'll have an opportunity to share the gospel, to have gospel conversations coming up. And I want to tell you, church, you can't share the, the good news without first realizing the bad news. I love the book of Ephesians. It's written by the Apostle Paul. It's written to believers. And people ask me my favorite book in the Bible, and I have, I don't know if it's right or wrong, I have different favorites for different reasons. And me personally, I believe Ephesians is one of my favorites because it has everything in it. 
You want to know about theology? You want to know about salvation? Go to Ephesians. You want to know about family matters, how to be a good dad or a good husband? Go to Ephesians 5 and 6. You want to know how to be a good wife, a good, a good spouse, a good mother? Go to Ephesians. You want to know about being a good church member or a good pastor? Go to Ephesians. It's all, it all seems to be in the book of Ephesians. But before Paul really gets to all that, he wants to remind these Ephesians of the powerful gospel they received, of their condition B.C., before Christ and after Christ. And in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we see that. And I'm going to read, I'm going to start by reading the first three verses this morning. He says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In these three verses, I see three points of bad, bad news. Right there in the beginning, he says, "...in you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins." So here's bad news number one. Without Christ, you were dead. Or without Christ today, you are dead in trespasses and sin. What do we know about dead people? I guess as a minister, as somebody being about 40 years old, I've been to more funerals than most people my age. I've been to funerals of very young people. I've been to funerals of infants. I've been to funerals of very old people. I've been to funerals where they dress the man up in a suit and tie or the woman up uh, in a nice Sunday dress. I went to my cousin's funeral where he requested to be uh, buried in his baseball cap, and he was about my age when he died. My grandfather's funeral, they put him in his favorite set of overalls, and he looked just like Grandpa. But let me tell you, what do we know about dead people? That word dead comes from the word necros. It means corpse. And what Paul is telling them here, it doesn't matter how you dress them up. It doesn't matter how young or old they are or how you make them up. They are dead. That body is done. There's no blood in the veins. There's no heart beating. There's no neurons firing. Nothing is there. What else do we know about dead people? There's no hope for dead people. There's no second chances. That's it. It's over. There's no joy for dead people. That body has had its opportunity for all that. It's over. There's no peace for dead people. There's no expectation. And there's no future for that body. Unless we're in Christ, we know that. But for the purposes of this, for the purposes of this bad news, that's it. That's over. No expectation of anything better. That's some bad news. And here's the truth. Every person here or listening to the podcast or Facebook Live has either been dead or is dead. We know that in verse 3. Among whom also we all, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We all once walked this way. That's bad news number two. Number one, number one, we were dead in trespasses and ten. Number two, everybody's like this. 
Every person listening, every person watching, every person out in the community, you have either been dead or you are dead. If you have the Christ, if you have Christ like Paul had, like Brother Kevin has, like Lee has, like St. Patrick has, you should be able to look back on your life and recall the moment when you were made alive in Christ. For me, I'll tell you, I'm not like some. I don't remember my spiritual birthday day and year. But I do remember the night. I do remember the preacher. I do remember the experience I had from going from being dead to alive. As a teenager, I could tell you I had a lot of things. My parents worked well for me. They did a lot for me. I had a mom that loved me. I had a dad that loved me. I had a house. I had three meals a day. At that point in life, I had a vehicle that I was proud of. I had a good job for a teenager. But at the end of the day, as that young teenage boy, Kevin Goodman, he had no hope, he had no joy, he had no peace, and he really had no future. Because see, as that teenage boy, if you took the things away I loved, I'd have nothing. And today, years later, Without Jesus, if you took away my, my wife, my son, my daughter, my parents, all of you, I'd just be like a dead man. Life wouldn't be worth living. Church, I'll tell you, you either have had that experience where you have went from death to life and you know exactly what I'm talking about, or you're in the condition like I once was, where you're dead and you have no peace, you have no hope, and you have no future. All your joy and all your hope comes from things that will one day pass away. You love watching your kids play t-ball. One day that's going to go away. You love uh, being with your wife. One day that will go away. Are you dead or are you alive this morning? And that sounds a second point of bad news and that's pretty bad. But there's a third part of this bad news that I think is even worse. And it's in the rest of verse 3. He says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We were dead and we were by nature children of wrath, just like everybody else. Not only were we dead, we were deserving of God's punishment. He says, by nature, meaning that every person in the whole wide world is born into this awful mess humanity has made. We were born evil into an evil world, a world of sickness, a world of war, a world of death, a world of division, a world of prejudice, a world where even pastors, kids get brain tumors and die. And what's worse Every one of us in this place are part of the problem. If you don't believe me, just take a simple survey of the Ten Commandments. And there is not a person in this place that is not one life of in a way from breaking any one of them. Oh, I've never murdered anybody, that's sure. But have I been disobedient to my parents? Yes. Have I put things above the Lord my God? Yes. Never cheated on my wife, but let me ask you men in here. How many of you have never, ever, ever looked at pornography? 
Don't raise your hands, but I'll tell you what. That's an uncomfortable truth, but everybody my age and younger, I dare say almost everybody, has crossed your phone at some point. And Jesus says, if you've committed adultery in the heart, you've committed adultery. We've all broken God's law, and we all deserve His wrath. When we elect judges, we expect the judge to uphold the law. And the law, God's law says, when we sin, when we have break, broken one, we're guilty of it all. And my God is a loving God, He is. But He is also a just God. And when He looks down at us, He looks at our sin, we are children of wrath. And that's bad news. And let me just pause there and say this. Many of you got up early this Sunday morning. Many of you are excited about Easter. Many of you sacrificed the cold drive to be here because you realize the power of the gospel. Many of you have been made alive in Christ. But let me just tell you, church, there is a whole world out there. It's literally like the show, The Walking Dead. It's not a fantasy. It's true. There's a whole world out there that is walking and they have no hope. They have no peace. They have no joy. And shame on us for having, having the answer to what, brings, what could bring them to life and keeping, us, keeping it to ourselves. And here's where things look up. Verses 4 through 10. Paul writes, But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace, in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I shared three points of bad news. Let me share three points of good news. Right there, man, if I was going to underline, highlight, circle anything in my Bible, those first two words in verse 4, that's worth taking note of. But God, but God, although I was dead, although I was deserving of wrath, although I had broken His law, but God, underline it, highlight it, say it out loud, glory to God, hallelujah, everything changes because God stepped in on that Good Friday we're about to celebrate. He conquered death, hell, and the grave for us. Everything changes when we accept Christ. Really, at the heart of this, Paul wanted his readers to be aware of just how much God loves us. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I'll use this example. It's pretty easy for me to love my wife. 
The Bible says we're one flesh. She literally completes me. It's easy for me to love my children. We share the same DNA. But ask me to love the person that harms my wife or harms my children. And we're talking about an entirely different type of love. And what God did for you is like me dying for the one that harms my wife and my children. That's the kind of God I serve. That's how much he loves you. Whether you are dead or whether you were dead, realizing the love of God, the love of Christ changes everything. Easter, it is about the death, burial and resurrection for sure. But it is about more than just that. It's the moment in history that God displayed with his arms wide open his love for you and me. For who we would consider the best of men or the worst of men. His arms were open for the black man, for the white man, for the Republican man, for the Democrat man, for the man on death row or the man in Vatican City. That's how much Christ loves you and me. Believe that church. If you're here today and you think nobody loves you, well, let me tell you something. My Bible says me, God does love you. Regardless of what you've done or what you're doing or what you may do, He loves you that much. Talk about good news. Paul goes on to say that His grace made us alive. For those of you in here that have Christ, you know exactly what He's talking about. God's grace made us alive together with Christ. Like it says in verse 5, By grace you have been saved. The gospel is powerful enough to bring dead men to life. The difference between a living person and a dead person is absolutely evident. Everything changes when we accept this grace. I shared Lee's story because I think it's the perfect example. You go back and look at his story. Because of the power of the gospel, there's hope for him and his wife to see Rankin again. There's joy because they know that while they're not with him, he is in the arms of our Savior. There's peace because even though they mourn, they know he's okay and they know that they'll see him again. There's hope because they know there's a future awaiting them that's so much better, an eternity that's so much better than anything we'll ever have here on earth. And they, like those of us that have Christ, are eagerly awaiting that day. Church, let me tell you, the gospel changes everything. Can I just ask you this morning, do you want that hope? Do you want that peace? Do you want this good news? I don't have to answer that question because I submit to you today that every human being ever made, we're all fallen and we're all looking for that peace. We're all looking for that hope. That's why we sin to begin with, to try to make us forget about our case or to try to make us feel better about our situation. So the question is, for those of you today that are looking for this hope or for those of you today that want to go out and share this with somebody else, what have I got to do? What have I got to do to receive this wonderful salvation? I want this powerful salvation. He says it twice. Once in verse 5, by grace you have been saved. And again in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. What have I got to do? Just have faith. 
What's so great about the gospel and why we don't preach it so much is because it's so simple. You don't need a Ph.D. in theology to figure this out. Paul says there's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do. There's nothing you have done to earn this great salvation. There's no good deed that earns your way into heaven. Over the last two years, I've had the great joy, not so joyful experience of learning languages. And one of the things you do when you learn languages, you learn how to parse verbs. And every, every single word is first, second, third person. First person is I. Second person is he or she. Third person is they and them. And I want to tell you, if I were to ask you the question today, why are you going to heaven? And if you answer in the first person, that's the wrong answer. You see, so many people today, that question is asked, are you going to heaven? Yes. And I say, why? And then they start with the first person, I. Well, because I've been baptized. Because I came to church. Because I spoke in tongues. Because I repeated a prayer. Because I'm a good mom. Because I'm a church member. Because I'm a good dad or I'm a good son. That's the wrong answer. The only right answer is in the second person. Because He, because Jesus gave me His grace. Because He paid the price I owed. The only part I had in all this was just answering the call. I was dead and God called me to life. The third thing this morning, and I, I think I, you can't read this without addressing this. Well, that's great, so I don't have to do anything Christ did it all, so that's wonderful. I can accept Jesus. I'll just stay home and wait for my heavenly reward. But Paul doesn't conclude this line of thought without saying in verse 9, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Of course, we're not... We're not saved by works. But we work not for our salvation, but because of our salvation. It's part of the good news that good works follow that new creation in Christ. That's why St. Patrick couldn't resist the call to go back and share the good news. That's why Lee and Jordan, although being through what they've been through, are still producing good works today. It's because of the power of the gospel. If you have Jesus, you're a new creation. And that new creation is different from that old creation. That new creation works for Jesus. The power of the gospel takes us from being hopeless to hopeful. It takes us from being useless to useful. It takes us from being dead to being alive. It takes us from darkness to light. Oh, how I desire how I desire this morning that everybody in this place would have the peace, hope, love, joy that I have, that Lee has, and that so many of us do. But here's the problem. It's just like I said earlier. I can't do this in the first person. I don't have the power to give this salvation to anybody in here. I can't do it. If I did, I'd give it to everybody. Only the gospel does that. Only through faith in Christ can you come to know the power of the gospel. I'll close today by sharing Romans 1.16. Paul wrote this, and it's a good reminder for us Christians. 
He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, the power of God unto salvation and to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The gospel is so very powerful. It can do more than any elected official ever thought of doing. Are you alive in Christ? Have you experienced the power of the gospel? Man, if not, you'd be crazy to reject it this morning. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope as you get ready to celebrate this Easter season, you never, ever forget just how powerful the gospel message is. The gospel that literally brings dead men to life. I hope you have a great week, and I hope if you get a chance, you'll come visit us in person at First Baptist Drive Prong.